So this morning we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. So if you are here for the first time, uh, we are doing a series called The Mission of Jesus, and we have been studying verse by verse the Gospel of Luke. Um, if you remember the last time we were together in the Gospel of Luke, we, um, it was Pedro who was teaching us the passage where the angel came to Mary to tell her the enormous blessing that God had given to her and to describing to her the role that she would play in God's plan of redemption. And that passage is often called the annunciation, the announcement of God through the angel to Mary as his plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. Well, our passage this morning is the passage of the visitation, and it's the visitation of Mary uh, to Elizabeth, but perhaps even more deeply, the visitation of the, of the Savior to Elizabeth and to her son, who is John the Baptist. It's a wonderful story, and uh, we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to verse 35 this morning. If you have your Bibles, please follow along. Verse 39 to verse 45. So in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Well, let's pray together before we go into the word. Lord, we thankful, Lord, that you have recorded for us these words. We thankful, Lord, that your spirit has inspired Luke to preserve these words in writing for us so that we can understand all the events that led up to your wonderful birth. We know, Lord, that your word is profitable for our instruction in righteousness. We know that it is profitable for our edification and our training, Lord, in righteousness. And we pray today, Lord, that you would train us. We pray today that we would be edified through the, through the preaching of your word. We pray your spirit would open our eyes, that he would help us to see truths that we haven't seen before. But mostly, Lord, we pray that he would help us to apply these truths, Father, that we wouldn't just be the hearers this morning, but that we would be the doers as well. So we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just take this passage for granted. We may have read it many times, but we ask, Lord, that today we would search the Scriptures and that we would rightly divide the word of truth together, Father, as we search your perfect will for us as a church. And we ask that you would lead us and guide us even through this passage from the truths that you will show us this morning. So we ask for your help. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So right here in our passage, this is the first of five songs recorded for us in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And the first song sung 
at the arrival of the Messiah in this world was not sung by angels. And it wasn't even sung by Mary. It was sung by Elizabeth. Now you may not pick this up as you're reading through your text because many of your Bibles, they will not break Elizabeth's song out as a, as a poem. But if you look about halfway through verse 42 and down to verse 35, what you have is poetic language, which is clearly a song in the original text. It's the first of five songs. God has, it's the first of these songs that, that God gave to Elizabeth the privilege of singing the first Christmas carol. And it's wonderful how the Lord has worked this all together because Christmas is around the corner, isn't it? And we are studying and learning about the birth of Jesus. And right here is the first Christmas carol. And if I can put it this way, the first and best Christmas carol, it would be Elizabeth who would sing the first praise of the Messiah. She had the privilege of doing that, even though he was a tiny little child still in the womb of his mother Mary. Well, let me give you some context. If you remember in Mary's day, the average age of betrothal was probably about 12 and a half years. Um, to us, that may seem very strange, but that was normal during the time of Jesus, the average age for a girl to be betrothed. Um, we don't know exactly how old Mary was, but she probably was around that age or a very young teenager at that time, maybe 13, maybe 14 years old. And she's visiting her cousin, Elizabeth. And we know Elizabeth is old enough to be her, her grandmother or her great-grandmother. And both of them are pregnant at the same time. Both of them are pregnant at the same time. And she's traveled, Mary has traveled almost a hundred miles all the way from Nazareth in Galilee, all the way down into the hill country of Judah. And they are going to commune together for a short while. They're going to experience some wonderful fellowship. This is not just the fellowship of cousins. And many of us get to enjoy time away with our families when we visit them. And we enjoy that. But this is special. This is not just the fellowship of family. This is not just the fellowship of two women who are expecting. But this is communion. This is biblical communion. The fellowship in God's providence for their lives because they have been called to fulfill the promise of God right in Genesis, right from Genesis chapter 3. If you remember that promise in verse 15, that a Messiah is going to be sent into the world, the seed of a woman who is going to crush the serpent's head. That promise is about to be fulfilled. And they are going to be respectively the mother of the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, and the mother of the Messiah. And they needed to have some words together. They needed to have some fellowship together. They needed to commune in the glorious reality of what was about to happen. And there are so many things that we could learn um, that we don't have enough time to um, do it 
just, but today I want to draw your attention to six things, just very briefly, six things. And the first thing is the fellowship that Mary and Elizabeth shared. If you look at verse 39, we see in our text, we're told that Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now later in this passage, we're going to be told that Mary spent about three months with Elizabeth. So this wasn't a casual, quick visit. Mary was just barely pregnant. She was just barely expecting. And Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And Mary stayed there right before John the Baptist was born. So she had almost three months with this much older cousin of hers communing. But I want you to see something about their, their fellowship. Their fellowship was not just the fellowship of relatives. This isn't just female cousins coming together. It's not just female cousins who were even expecting together. These are two women who have deep communion in and through God's providence. And they have deep communion in and through the gospel. This is unique. This is special. These are two believing women. Not just ordinary women. Two believing women. And one of the things that Luke emphasizes is that these women believed the word of God. They believed the word of God. These women believed the, the promises of God. These women had a communion in the gospel and that communion that they had in God's purposes and that communion in the gospel, it spanned every area of their, their life and every difference that existed between them. Now think about this for a moment. What would it be like to be pregnant at the same time that your great-grandmother was pregnant? I'm sure there's going to be some differences there. I mean, what do we talk about? Such a big age gap, isn't there? How do we have anything in common here? Well, even though they were cousins, Mary wasn't a great-grandmother. But she was old enough to be Mary's great-grandmother. The age difference was clearly evident there. And I want to pause and I want to say right now, even to our young people especially, don't ignore this fact. Grace spans and unites all generations. It doesn't matter how old we are. We have being united in the gospel through the Lord Jesus Christ and our age does not matter. There's no generation gap here between Mary and Elizabeth. She's barely a teenager. Elizabeth is, is maybe 60, 70 years old. Remember, Sarah was 75 when she had Isaac. And Elizabeth, well, she, she's, she's much older. She's much older if I can say it delicately. But there's a gospel fellowship here, and I want you to notice that. That's how the gospel always works. And I understand that Mary and Elizabeth are a very special case. But do you understand that's how the gospel always works? That's how the gospel always works. Just recently, my family and I were visiting South Africa, 
And uh, we had the privilege of seeing the, the Springboks win the, the World Cup rugby tournament. And one of the key phrases that kept on coming on the television was, better together, better together, better together. And I thought about that for a while, even as I was preparing this. You know, we can have fellowship with our friends and our family for, for a certain amount of time. But coming back to, to this church, the fellowship that I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ is so much better than the fellowship that I have with my family who are unbelievers. And that's because of the gospel, isn't it? Maybe you've had a similar experience. Our fellowship is better together because of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I don't want you young people to, see, to fail to see this. We need to take advantage of this wonderful truth that just because people are older and, and, and different, we are united in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is communion that we enjoy because of the gospel of our Lord and Savior. The secondly, I want you to see something of the fruit of the Spirit here in Elizabeth. In verse 41, we read, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So when Elizabeth heard the, the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and for the rest of the time, Elizabeth is alive with joy and, and praise and adoration of God and, and faith in His truth and, and love for Mary and for Jesus and for God. You see the fruit of the Spirit displayed here clearly in her life. Now think of this for a moment, ladies. If you were expecting your firstborn son at this age, of course you'd want to talk about him a little bit, isn't it? Surely you want to talk about what is happening inside of you and, and the blessing of the baby. I mean, we, we whip out pictures and, and, and we say, look at my, look at my children, look at my, my grandchildren. And I'm sure Mary would want to, to be doing this as well. But notice, this is not about her. This is all about God. It is all about God. It's all about her joy over the fulfillment of God's promises. It's all about Jesus. And there is this display of the fruit of the Spirit. There's nothing selfish about their fellowship, nothing selfish about their conversation. She knows. Look there in our passage. She knows that this is her Messiah's mother who has come to visit her. And she is humble. And all the focus is on him. She's grateful for what God is doing. She's filled with, with joy. She has a very clear love for Mary. She displays faith in God's promises. The fruit of the Spirit, we know in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit are, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control. And she displays about half of them just right here in this passage. Indeed, she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, she displays the, the fruit of the Spirit. 
And the focus is not on her. The focus is on God. The focus is on Mary, what is happening inside her womb. The focus is on Jesus. You would expect this woman to be focusing on the fact that she's about to, to have her, her firstborn son. And no doubt, she's to talk about those things with Mary. But that's not the emphasis here. That's not the emphasis when Mary walks through the door. When Mary walks through the door, don't you see here the fruit of the Spirit in this woman, Elizabeth? We're going to look at that more now. In my third point, the humility of Elizabeth. Look at verse 42 there. Blessed are you, she says. Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is Elizabeth speaking to Mary. Do you see the humility here? An angel has come to her husband to tell her that she will be the bearer of the forerunner of the Messiah. An angel has come to her husband and told her that in her, the bearer, she will be the bearer of this, of this forerunner. The, prophet, the prophets, Malachi and Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they had spoken about this forerunner. They had spoken and prophesied about John the Baptist. And Mary walks in the door. And Elizabeth has nothing to say about herself. She has nothing to say about herself. Just this, verse 42, blessed are you among women. That's what she says. And it struck me, folks, as I, as I was reading this passage, that Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, was just like her. Like mother, like son. Here's Elizabeth, and she could have said, Mary, let me tell you how I'm going to be used of the Lord. Let me brag a bit about what, is, what has been prophesied about my son. But instead, she says, you are going to be the mother of my Lord. Blessed are, are you. It's all about Jesus. And that's how John the Baptist was, wasn't he? You remember John the Baptist? What did he say? You must increase, Lord. I must decrease. And it struck me as I was reading this passage that, that John's humility did not come from nowhere. He learned it from someone. He was just like his mother. So here's a question for all of you who are parents today. And please don't answer this aloud, okay? Just in your own hearts. How would you feel if your child grew up to be exactly like you? Now, you know your strengths and weaknesses more better than anyone in this room. Would people see Christ in your child if they grew up to be exactly like you? Mary walks in the door, and it's all about Jesus. Notice her humility. Notice her self-denial. The focus on Christ that is displayed in the ministry of John, it's evident in the heart of his mother, in the heart of Elizabeth. And we could learn something from that. You know, for so many of us, 
we struggle with selfishness, don't we? It's all about me, all about mine. Let me tell you about me. Sorry to interrupt you, but let me tell you about me. Let me tell you what I've done. Remember Diotrephes that the Apostle John warned us about in, in 3 John. We studied that beginning of the year. Diotrephes loved the limelight. He loved the attention. Somehow he had become a, a leader in the church and he thought that the church existed for him. He was what theologians call today, he was a, he was a Christian consumer. He came to church to get, to take, to take because he thought it was all about himself. And he thought everyone in the church, including Jesus, was there to serve him. And Diotrephes clearly did not understand meaningful membership. He was, he was full of himself. He was, he was not full of the, the Holy Spirit like Elizabeth was. Elizabeth is a wonderful example for us here. She dies to herself. She doesn't want the praise. She doesn't want the limelight. She doesn't want the glory. She wants Jesus to get the glory. All the focus is on Jesus. All the encouragement is to Mary, who's going to be the one who's going to bear the Messiah. None of Elizabeth, all of Jesus. What a wonderful example of humility. Fourthly, look at verse 43. We see the person of Jesus here in this wonderful fellowship. In verse 43, you see clearly point us to Jesus Christ. Look there, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Think of it, folks, think of it. The child in Mary's womb is days or probably weeks old at this time. Just a tiny, tiny little fetus, indetectable. She's not even to the point where she has a, has a showing in, in, her, in her stomach. She's not even got to her 11th or, or 12th week. There's, there's no sonogram here, okay? And already Elizabeth acknowledges that this tiny, tiny life in her uterus is my Lord. Is my Lord. That's my God. That's my master. That's my Messiah. That is my Savior. And the mother of my Lord has come to me. Notice again the humility. Who am I that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? Again, it's just so evident here, isn't it? It struck me again that just as something that John the Baptist is about to do is going to foreshadow everything that he did in his life and his ministry, so this also foreshadows Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't wait for us to come to him. He comes to us. He comes to us. And here he is in the womb coming to Elizabeth. Coming to Elizabeth. Coming to his cousin, John. And Elizabeth knows it. And she says, my Lord has visited me in his mother. Who am I to have such a guest in my 
in my humble house. That's what she's really saying. And she focuses all, her, all our attention, all her attention and all her praise and all her hopes and all her dreams on the Lord Jesus who has come to visit her. The king, the priest of her soul, her hope. And here we see in verse 44, God's promises fulfilled. And the story just gets better and better. Look at verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting, this is Mary's greeting, came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This is the promise and the fulfillment of the connection of the old covenant and the new covenant right here in this passage, right here. And what is this leap for joy? Is this a mother reading into the movement of a six-year-old child in the womb? No, this is, this is not something emotional. This is biblical fulfillment here. The Holy Spirit has, has opened Elizabeth's eyes to, to know the reason why John is stirring, why John is, is leaping around in her womb. What has just happened here? Well, the Messiah has just come into the room. And what is John's one job in life? John the Baptist, what is his one job in life? His one job is to point people to the Messiah, to prepare the way of the Lord, to call Israel to make straight their paths for the coming of the Lord. And what is he doing right here in the womb at the very outset? John leaps for joy at the presence of the one for whom he would spend his life and in death pointing people towards. Now please don't, don't misunderstand this passage. Jesus wasn't created in the womb of Mary. Jesus existed before time began. He is being incarnated in the womb of Mary. God is becoming a man in the form of this baby. He's not just a, a little fetus. He is God inside this womb. But One of the early church fathers, he said, not yet born, but John is already prophesying. John the Baptist is already prophesying and he isn't even outside his mother's womb. He's already pointing to the Savior. In his mother's womb, he's already pointing to the Savior. The church fathers used to say that, that John is the only child who ever turned his mother's womb into a pulpit. The only child who ever turned his mother's womb into a pulpit. And that's exactly what John is doing here. With joy, he responds to the presence of of the Messiah. And isn't that how we're supposed to respond at the presence of the Messiah? Isn't that our response? Shouldn't it be that? Our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that how we're supposed to respond? And John shows us the way. Lastly, in verse 45, Elizabeth focuses on the faith of Mary. Look what she says in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is a wonderful conclusion. So please stay with me as I, as I bring this together here. Think for a second 
Whose house is this? Of course, it's Elizabeth's house, but she's married to Zechariah. He's, he's the head of this house. And Zechariah had had an angel come to him and tell him that his wife was going to have a baby boy. We remember that. And how did Zechariah respond? Well, he said, well, you've got to be kidding. You're mistaken. Look how old my wife is. You remember what the angel said? Okay, Zechariah, but she's still going to have the baby. And you're not going to be able to tell anybody about it. You're not going to be able to speak until the baby comes into this world. Now, let me speculate for a moment here with you. Could it be, perhaps, that Zechariah was within earshot when Elizabeth spoke these words to Mary? He could have been. And she said to Mary, blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Zechariah didn't believe. Mary did believe, isn't it? And I don't know whether Zechariah heard it, but I'm sure he must have heard it at some stage, maybe later. And I think Luke is drawing our attention to this, to this comparison here between these two people. And Luke is saying, where Zechariah couldn't quite get his head and his heart around what God had said, Mary did. Mary did. Mary had said, behold, be it done to me as you have appointed, O Lord. She had embraced, and she had accepted, and she had believed, and she had trusted God's word. She had trusted God's promises. She had believed God's gospel. And here, Elizabeth is saying, Mary, you sweet child, and you more believed God's word than an old priest. Blessed are you because you believed. Let me draw some application as we conclude this message this morning. Mary is a wonderful example for us. She's not the queen of heaven. She's not the mother of God. We don't pray to Mary because she cannot answer our prayers. She never has and she never will. She's never heard anybody's prayers because only God hears prayers. Mary sets an example for us. She's a wonderful example. She's a, she's a model believer. And I think that's what Luke is wanting us to see this morning. She was blessed not just because of her privilege, not just because she was chosen to bear the Messiah. She was blessed not just because of what God did to her, but because of how she responded. Please get that. She was blessed because she believed. I mean, if you want to be blessed, we believe, isn't it? Even though we don't understand it, even though it doesn't make sense, we believe God. And she shows us how believers should respond. She heard, she believed, she obeyed, and she worshipped. When God speaks... We listen, we believe, we obey, and we worship. How do we respond to Jesus? 
talked a little bit about this this morning in our discipleship class when we looked at evangelism. We all have a responsibility to respond to the gospel. And that's our first response, isn't it? We believe in Jesus. We believe on him for the salvation that he has offered to us in the gospel. We respond with joy because Jesus himself said, I came that your joy may be full. And how does Mary and how does Elizabeth and how does even John respond here? Faith and joy to Jesus. And you want to know how to respond to Jesus? This is the example here, folks. This is the example. And last week, Brian preached a a wonderful message on on Joseph, which he called Finding God in, in Hard Places. And we saw how Joseph responded in times of troubles. And I think this is a similar lesson that the Lord wants us to learn again this week. How do we respond to Jesus in times of trials and troubles? Now, it's easy to call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus when everything is going well, isn't it? But how do we respond in difficult and bad times? Now, Mary must have been ostracized by her family for being pregnant outside of wedlock. She must have been frowned upon. It couldn't have been easy for her. She was in a difficult situation. But how did she respond? She believed. She obeyed and and she worshipped. And how do we respond to the truth of the scriptures that teach us that God works together all things for our good? Do we believe that? Do we obey that? Do we worship as a result, even if it doesn't make sense? In your troubles, do you believe that God is, is doing that and that he's sovereign over your troubles? And despite your despair and, and the despondency, when, when you look at your problems, perhaps you say, what is going on? You know, when there's no work coming in and there's no business coming in and there's no income, how do you respond? What's going on? Is God really in control? When you're having problems in your, in your relationships, when you're having problems with friends or business, How do you respond? Do you respond by saying, well, God doesn't love me? He doesn't care about me? I'm gonna have to take care of things myself because there's nobody else that loves me. Perhaps you're tempted to to think. When your marriage is troubled, well, God's not in control. I I don't know what's going on and I don't know why this is happening to me or when your children are are in trouble? Do you believe that God is sovereign over your troubles? Do you believe, do you respond as Mary responded? If you do, you're going to be asking a different set of questions. Not that you're not gonna be asking questions, you're gonna be asking a different set of questions. You're not gonna be asking, why me? Mary didn't do that. First of all, because we live in a fallen world. Sin is going to affect every single one of us. This world is filled with trouble. Trouble is, is, is the norm. Trouble is the default status. And we're not exceptions to this rule. 
but you're not going to be asking why me as if God is somehow asleep, not knowing what he's doing. Because if you believe that God is sovereign over your troubles and you believe that God is good, you know that God is working in every circumstance in your life for his glory and for your good. If you trust him, if you trust him like Mary did, this is not a generic promise for every human being. This is promise for those who trust him. Turn with me to that promise. Let me show you in Romans chapter 8. The promise that I'm talking about in Romans 8 verse 28. Paul makes it clear. For those who are called according to his purpose. If you're a Christian here, you've been called according to his purpose. This is a promise for believers that God works all things out for our good and for his glory, for those who love him. This is a promise for those who are trusting and resting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he offered in the gospel. And if you're trusting in Jesus Christ and trouble comes, you have this absolute promise. And here's the absolute promise. Everything that happens in your life, God is using it for good. He is using it for good. And it may not make sense, folks. It may not make sense. But you need to trust God and his character that he is a good, good father. How easy is it to sing those songs? How much more difficult is it to, to live that truth? If you believe that, then the question that you're asking is not, Lord, why me? Or, Lord, where are you? Or, or Lord, are you in charge? We're not questioning, Lord, are you even good? We need to ask a different question. Lord, what can I learn from this? What can I learn from this difficult situation? How can I glorify you through this painful situation? We need to believe that he is using this circumstance for our good and for his glory. And if you believe that, God will be glorified. God will be glorified. And he will turn our sorrows into joy. And Jesus never turned anyone away who came to him for help in faith. Do you need help perhaps in your unbelief today? Do you need help in your obedience to him today? Do you need help in, in worshiping our Savior? Maybe you have become cold and, and distant in your relationship with the Lord and insensitive to the Holy Spirit leading in your life because you want to take control because you've been asking the wrong set of questions. Well, this morning, let me encourage you from the Word of God. Follow the example of Mary. Follow the example of Elizabeth. Go to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Confess your sin of unbelief. And don't delay. Jesus said, in 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go to the one who can help you in your situation.
the only one who can help you in your situation. Let us be like Mary this week. Let us believe, let us obey, and let us worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for recording this portion of Scripture for us to learn from. Thank you, Lord, for all the events that happened by your perfect will. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. Thank you for John the Baptist who was worshipping you even in the womb. Thank you for the picture we have of Mary and Elizabeth having this wonderful fellowship through Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, because of the Messiah, because of the, the fulfilled promises. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for this morning. Thankful, Lord, that we can gather together, together as a church, because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the fellowship that we can enjoy because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this is a supernatural fellowship. Why would people from <coughs> different races, different cultures, different places come together and sing songs and worship together? It's only because of your son, Jesus. And thank you for these wonderful relationships that we get to enjoy and we get to treasure and we get to have because of Jesus. Thank you for brothers and sisters in this room that love Jesus, that point us to Jesus. Pray, Lord, that we would be better at it this week, that you would help us, Lord, not to be doubting you or doubting your character. And we pray, Lord, first and foremost, please forgive our unbelief, Lord. Forgive us where we have failed. Forgive us, Lord, where we have fallen short of your glory. We pray, Lord, that we would be better witnesses of Jesus to the world around us, that we would point them to the solution, that we would point them to the hope, the only hope that this world has, that we would be faithful, that we would be obedient, and that we would be worshipful. So help us this week, we pray, Lord. May you receive the glory, even in our difficult circumstances, as we respond in faith, as we respond supernaturally, not like the world would respond, Lord. As we point people to Jesus, use us for your glory and for our joy. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.